If you are between the ages of 18 and young 30s and reaching for that best version of yourself, you are in the right place. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I am an author and speaker to over 30 colleges nationwide. With the heart behind everything I do to be who I needed when I was younger. On this podcast, I interview experts in their field and 20-somethings alike. We'll talk about finances, physical wellness, dealing with your inner mean girl, and you better believe we're going to talk about guys. Our mission here is to empower your socks off and definitely drop some truth bombs along the way. All right, let's get to it and unpack some truths for your 20s. Ava, this is your Truth For Your 20s podcast with your host, Katie Bulmer, my mom. Enjoy listening. Hey guys, my name is Katie Bulmer. I'm your host and this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. I have with me today a new friend, Jen, who is actually a missionary in the Dominican Republic. And her story is just so fascinating. We had a phone call a few weeks ago and I got to know her and I was like, what are the chances you could come on the podcast? And she said yes. So here she is. Jen, say hello. Hello, everybody. Yay. Can you just kind of give them like a, you know, 20,000 foot view of (laughs) who you are, like the synopsis, and then we'll kind of get into the details here in a minute? Yeah, of course. Um, I surrendered to missions about two and a half years ago. That's not when the Lord called me. He actually called me in about 2015, and I said no for a long time because I thought a boy and a marriage was going to happen. And so, um, but now I'm on the mission field full time. I came originally as a teacher, an ESL teacher, um, and I was teaching English at a Christian school. But my heart was really in women's and girls' ministry, specifically with women and girls who have experienced um, forced prostitution and sex trafficking. And so little by little, I just prayed that the Lord would open doors, and He did. And so I am full-time in women's and girls' ministries now, working with three different organizations and then um, just helping out wherever wherever I can in the ministries where I live. That's amazing. Okay. And you're stateside right now, right? Yes. I am in Bowling Green, Kentucky right now. Yay. Okay. Kentucky. But most of the time you are in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm, That's true. I spend um, most of the year there. I usually, because I have been a teacher, my schedule has been that I'm there August to December and then I come home for a couple weeks at Christmas and then go back until June. Um, So I'm not exactly sure what this year is going to look like since I'm not a teacher taking off the summer, but I also, my ministries do bring me back stateside as far as um, brand advocacy goes. And so I do need to come back again in the summer. I just don't know what that's going to look like yet. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so day to day, which I know there's no typical day in the I'm going to say DR, which is short for Dominican Republic in case. I mean, I know that you know that, but like the (laughs) listeners. Um, So day-to-day in the DR, what does that look like? Uh, Teaching, but then tell me about your ministry and everything. Okay. So, I mean, as a teacher, it was really a lot like as a teacher in the States. I would go to school in the morning. I would come home in the afternoons. I am involved in my church. So small groups that I go to um, and whatever, you know, just friend connections, getting involved 
in just regular life. Just I literally just am living my life overseas. Uh-huh. Um, but now that I'm not teaching, it really is different every day because I have certain days that I go into the ministries I work with and I have certain days that I work from home. Um, one of the ministries is just really getting started with social media and that's uh, Mercy Workshop. And so my job with Mercy Workshop is to post for them on a daily basis, which is really cool because I never thought that I'd be on Facebook and Instagram as a job, (laughs) but I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm trying and we're working on on growing our, our brands there. And then I also get to go into the workshop once a week and just hang out and look for ideas for pictures and look for ways to minister to the women there. And then I'm also in charge of their outreach schedule. So we go out to the streets and minister to the women who are still prostituting themselves or being prostituted. I'm in charge of that. And on top of both of those things, I also work with two girls' homes in the Dominican Republic. One is far away from me, so I'm only there once a month, but I brand advocate for them when I'm home. That's New Hope Girls. And another is just a really small girls' home near where I live, but I'm actually on their first board for the girls' home. And so I'm out with those girls at least once a week looking for ways that we can support their caregivers and make sure that they're getting quality therapy and aftercare from their trauma. Wow. Okay, I can't wait to get into how you got there. But uh, <laughs> but tell them, because I know a little bit about Mercy Workshop, but tell them more about what that they do day to day, because I think it's an incredible mission. Yeah. So Mercy was started by Allison Hale. She's the pastor's wife at the church that I attend in my city. She's an American missionary, but she's been in the DR. She was there as a little girl, and then she came back after she got married. And her and her husband have been there for over 17 years. So she's basically Dominican, and yeah. she um, she started to really see that women were, in our area specifically, all over the Dominican Republic, prostitution and trafficking are huge. We're the fourth leading nation in the world, and we're a tiny, tiny, tiny country. So that tells you about how big prostitution is. Wow. But um, in our area specifically, it's not so much trafficking like most people think where somebody has a pimp and and they're working for them. It's that our women in our area are denied a lot of their rights because they either don't have proper documentation, which means it's almost as if they were never born. They don't have a cedula, which is like they don't have a social security card Um, or and or they don't have an education. And in the DR, you cannot get a job even um, as like a bag boy without a high school education. There's nothing you can do. And so these women turn to the streets. A lot of them um, that we minister to have told me they've been on the streets longer than they've been off the streets. They only know this life. They've been working since they were 12 or 13, and this is all they know, and this is how they feed their kids. This is how they support themselves. Um, Most of them live in in little one-room pensions or even brothels that they pay usually less than $50 a month for, but even that is is more than they can afford a lot of times. They just live day-to-day. And so we go out and we minister to those women. And when those women are ready to come off the streets, it's a process because there's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of trauma wrapped up in that. And, and they're not ready to just say, oh, yeah, I'll give all of that up and I'll, I'll come work for you. But yeah. when, when they are ready, 
we offer them a job. And so the first three months of the job, they're learning just how to how to do life differently. They come to our workshop every day and they start learning the skill of jewelry making. That's that's our biggest thing that we do with them. That's how we sustain our ministry by selling our jewelry. But they also begin to be discipled. We um, immediately start discipleship classes. They do not have to accept Christ as their Savior. They do not have to jump into a life of Christianity, but they do have to at least understand our core values are rooted in the gospel. And so um, we begin that with them. We also begin classes with them. We have a teacher, and that teacher helps um, get their education to a place where they can, some of them are completely illiterate, where they can read and write. Um, Some of them are literate enough that they can take classes that give them like a certificate. um, And that certificate goes on their documentation if they have it that says they're skilled in this trade. And that just gives them more opportunity for a job if they choose to leave the workshop at any point. But we just walk alongside of them. We just try to help them. Um, A lot of them have really hard children. And it's really just because they were babies raising babies and they didn't know what they were doing. A lot of their kids are running away and getting pregnant and causing a lot of problems in their community. And so we're trying to teach them that you're the parent and, and you, you got to be the parent. And so we try to teach them parenting skills. Just It's just life. It really is yeah. just living life with them, loving them, but also not ever in a way that is um, that appears that we feel like they're inferior. And we, right. you know, we just we want them to know that. We're women just like them, and we have problems just like them. Our problems look different, but we have them, and um, and and the way that we handle it is different because of Christ. Yes. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions to unpack. This this is so good. <laughs> but at first, I want to just kind of understand how you got here. Um, I know that I, I feel like I call you the unlikely missionary because your story is so just regular, for lack of a better word. And I love that because I, you know, a lot of times we like to put missionaries on this. Um, pedestal, like the the heavens opened up and you ascended into your calling. <laughs> uh, yeah. But in reality, like, I just feel like you're a regular girl who stepped out into this incredible ministry. So I guess, can you just take us back to how that process looked? Yeah. And I love that you recognize that because I, I totally agree with you that so many times people put missionaries on a pedestal and I just really want people to understand, especially because if the Lord calls somebody, I don't want them to ever feel like, well, not me, Lord, look at what I've done or look at my past or whatever. Um, it really is just that I'm doing exactly what the Lord is calling any other Christian to do wherever they are. I'm just doing it from where he's called me to do it. So I'm in a separate place. I'm outside of my comfort zone a lot of times away from my family, but he's given me so much joy in the journey. Um, it started. Isn't in- that where the magic happens though? Yes. Out of the comfort yes. zone? <laughs> oh, yes. So many times. Um, It started in 2015 uh, with my first mission trip with Dare for More Ministries, which is located in Chattanooga. I came on a mission trip to the DR, to the area where I'm at, to visit the ministries that I'm now working with, which is really cool. But it was my first trip here, and they had kind of mentioned there are a lot of needs in the school. The Christian school was started by the church where the workshop is also. And so it's all kind of intertwined in this giant ministry called DR Vision. I was kind of prodded. Like people were, 
Jen, you're an ESL teacher in the States. You would be able to teach English to these kids. Like you already know about all that. And so if I'm honest, I walked away from that mission trip really feeling heavy about feeling like the Lord was calling me. But in 2013, I had called off a wedding. In my mind, I had postponed a wedding. Thought it was still going to happen, was still hashing it out with the same guy that many years later and ended up actually doing that until right after the Lord actually moved me full time. But I kept saying no. I tell people, I didn't just say, okay, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I made excuses and said, there's no way this is what I really am supposed to do because we're getting ready to get married. There's no way this is what I'm supposed to do because I just got pre-approved to buy a house. And why would he pre-approve me if I'm not supposed to be here? You know, like all of these excuses. And so I stayed and the Lord is so gracious and he's so sweet um, because honestly, you know, you hear the story of Jonah in the Bible where he told God no and, and he got swallowed up by this big fish. Um, and God had every right to punish me for my denial of what he was requesting from me, but he didn't. And not only did he not, he really just wooed me into this place of submission. So over the next three years, He gave me two more opportunities to come back to the DR. He gave me an opportunity to work with a nonprofit that was um, working with women and girls from trafficking right in my city of Bowling Green, Kentucky. But all of it just felt very unfulfilling. Like I wanted more. I wanted to step out of teaching. I wanted to really do this type of work full time. But there were just really not any opportunities for me to do that where I was not at least to be paid to do it. And I couldn't just quit my job and do it um, stateside without having the funding. And so in 2018 was my third short-term trip to the DR. And right before that, I had begun reading the book Love Does by Bob Goff. So good. Yes, so good. And before I even came that June, I told one of my best friends, I said, you're the only person I'm telling because I have to tell somebody, but... I feel like God's about to do something really big. Every chapter just feels more and more engulfed in you need to do something. Love does. Why are you sitting here? And I remember reading this part about sacrifice and how God demands a sacrifice from us a lot of times, and He sacrificed His Son. And and I just kind of wrestled with that. I was like, God, are you serious? Like, I go to my church so faithfully. My dad's a pastor. I don't really have a choice. But I was a Sunday school teacher. I was a youth leader. I was in the choir. I would lead music when there was nobody to lead music. It was just a tiny little country church. I was at every event on time where I needed to be. And I gave my tithe. And I just did all in my mind. I'm telling God all these things I did. And he said, what part of all that is sacrifice for you? You've been doing that forever and you love it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I, like that, you're right. <laughs> it's not really sacrifice. Um, and for some people it may be, but for me it really wasn't. Um, I was really comfortable with that life. And and so um, before I even came back in June, I, I really knew that that was what the Lord was calling me to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to go in June. And if people kind of push the whole come teach at our school thing, I'll hear what they have to say but I'm not going to seek out information. And it was so funny because I got to the DR and I was like, so who do I talk to about a job at that Christian school? (laughs) I was doing it. And it was just like so natural for me. While I was in the DR that during that five day trip, 
the night that I was scheduled to speak to the supervisor who would be my supervisor if I came, my sister tagged me in a post that was like, um, there's a job at this school. And it was an opening for a sixth grade position. And she had no idea that that very evening I was going to basically be interviewing for that sixth grade position if I felt like the Lord was going to call me there. And so it just was like all these little things that kept making sense. And um, I, I can't tell you how much grief I had with that, though, because I am so, so, so close to my family. My nieces specifically, um, they were just one and two at the time. Now they're three and four. And I saw them at least five days a week. And and I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss them growing up. I came home and, and my family was all supportive. And it was just supposed to be a one-year commitment as a sixth grade teacher at this school, because there was a need, I could fill that need and that I would do my part. But within just a few months of being in the country, I just fell in love. And I knew that that was something I still don't know how long that, that I'm going to be there. I don't know if it's going to be forever or if it's just a season, but I, I just have gotten to the point where I am just willing to do whatever it is that God calls me to do. And so if that be forever, then that's okay. And if it just be a season, it honestly will probably be harder to leave there than it was to come. I'm now in this place where this is this is just life for me. The back and forth between the two countries is kind of hard. I feel more like an immigrant in the U.S. now, and it's not even been three years. But I was a little overwhelmed at Kroger the other day trying to look at 12 different options for sauce that I needed for spaghetti. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. Okay, so talk about that for a second. I have a friend who is a missionary in uh, Peru, and she talks about that. Like when you come home, you feel like out of of your place. And, you know, the whole American thing is just crazy in some ways, and you see it with different eyes. So tell me, I'd love to hear a little little bit about your take on that. Yeah, it is hard. It's hard. um, It's hard to hear people talk about their problems when I know what real problems look like for people. Um, it's really hard to go anywhere and make choices because the choices are so much more vast here. And that's something that you just really don't think about. But we do have, the DR is, is really low income, but compared to a lot of countries, it's not, not near as impoverished, but I do have a McDonald's in my city. And, but even when I go to McDonald's, the options are so much more just clearly laid out. There's, you really can't order specialty orders there. I mean, if you say no pickles, they're probably going to still put pickles on there. There's not really option. You just order this. This is the way it comes. You go to the grocery store. There might be four choices in spaghetti sauce, and there's not 12 flavors in each brand. Like, I remember my first Christmas home. I was so excited to come home and see my family. But the day I got home, people still had to work. And so I was just sitting at my parents' house by myself, and I had no idea what to do. I just cried. I was like, I was so used to walking everywhere. And my sister had, her car had broken down, and she had borrowed my car, and she hadn't been able to get it back to me to use for that first day home. And so I was just stuck at the house. I was like, I can't walk anywhere. People don't do that here. Plus, (sighs) my parents live in the country, so it's not like I could have gotten very far very fast. But I just was... I was overwhelmed. And now coming home, I'm getting a little more used to it, but it is still, it's hard 
home is there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think that's so interesting. I'm thinking about when we go to Starbucks and it's like everyone has such a special and unique order in the DR or in so many of the rest of the world, really. It's like, here's a coffee. Here's some cream and sugar. Goodbye. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just different. And I'm sure it's like eye-opening, like, holy cow. Yes. We talked about this on our phone call, but Kisses from Katie, that book, everyone has to read it. It's so good. Yes. She talks about that too. It is hard, but it's good. And it's good hard because it's still, I have to, as a Christian, I have to give grace and I have to give grace to the struggling women in the Dominican Republic who are driving me up a wall because they're just not ever really making the progress that we think they need to make in the time frame that we want them to make it. And I have to give grace to the American who's telling me about their, you know, problem that I think is, is nothing. And I just want them to, they're like, oh, we got to buy a bigger house. We we only have three bedrooms and we have two children and we got to have a guest room. And I'm just like, are yeah. you kidding me right now? Your entire bedroom is like the size of people's houses. In the, in oh the my DR, gosh. So. Hey friends, I'm loving this episode as much as you are. But if you are listening and you happen to be in a sorority, I need to talk to you for a quick minute because right now is booking time for fall semester. If you want me to bring the sorority girls can change the world message to your school. I believe now more than ever, we need to be reminded why sisterhood matters, what these letters that you're wearing on your shirt even mean, how to make a difference on your campus, yes, even during a pandemic, how to raise the bar in dating, can I get an amen, and how to get back to your founding sister's dreams of sisterhood. I've had the opportunity to keynote at almost 50 colleges nationwide, and I would love to bring this message via Zoom to your chapter spring semester. So you can check out all the info at my website, katiebolmer.life slash speaking or katiebolmer.life, and the link will be at the top of the page. I can't wait to talk to you about how to change the world. When you said... Um, Love does while you're still sitting here. I wrote that down because I just got chills when you said that. That is so powerful. And I feel like, you know, obviously we're all called to different things. You know, we're not all called to the Dominican Republic to do missions, but we're all called to something. There's someone listening who's like, oh my gosh, dang it. Like, I know (laughs) that call. I've felt that. I have seen all those urges. Like, I know, but I'm scared because that's normal and you have to step out of your comfort zone. Like we said earlier, I would just love for you to talk to that girl right now. Like whether that's taking, having a big move, selling something, being a missionary, taking the job that you don't know what what it's going to be, whatever it is, you're stepping into something uncomfortable and unfamiliar, but you know, it is where you're supposed to go. Or at least you have a pretty strong inclination because obviously none of us really know, right? But you like those signs are there and you feel like that's where you're supposed to go. What would you tell her? Um, I wrote a blog not that long ago that's called just quit your day job. And it's seriously, I, if I could just go back and do it again, I would have just done it when the Lord was calling me in 2015, because I really put myself through a lot of heartache. In the end, the circumstances are different for everybody, and the way that the Lord handles everybody is different, I feel like, as well. Um, And so I can't say that if you don't do this, you're going to be miserable, or if you don't do this, this is going to happen. But I can say that There is a certain joy that comes from knowing that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I've learned as an adult that 
happiness really is only dependent upon our circumstances, but joy is something that we can have no matter what. And so I could walk away from my nieces with tears in my eyes and still know that this is exactly where God has me. And when you feel that call and you feel like there's something that that maybe could change or be different, and it is scary, um, and it is hard a lot of times. It's not always the easiest decision to make. Do it. Do it because you're never going to feel fulfilled. And and there's something about that fulfillment and knowing that you are doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And it may you know, the other thing I want to say too is that Satan is such a liar and he's yeah. going to tell you all those reasons why it's not going to work. And then when you do it, he's probably going to throw things, roadblocks in your way. And all those reasons are going to come flooding back in. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done this. This is ridiculous. What it was I thinking? If you are really ready to move into that space, I would say get as rooted as you possibly can in the truth and knowing who you are in Christ. And when you do that, and when you really focus on Him daily, and you start your day with Him, and you know that this is where you're supposed to be, those lies can just be so easily blocked out. Um, but they can't if you're not if you're trying to do things in your own strength. And so, just really make sure that you're you're really grounding yourself. I can resonate with this so much. I'm over here, not in my head like crazy because I would have college small groups and they were with the girls who went to church. And I love that group of girls. And like, I, you know, enjoyed that, but I, I call it like a holy hunger. And you kind of alluded to that too. Like I'm doing the quote, good thing, you know, I'm serving in the church or whatever, but it just, there was something more. There was something that just wasn't where I was supposed to be. And God kept telling me like, you need to be talking to the girl that you were when you were in college, mm-hmm. like the girl who would never show up at a Bible study, the girl who was like, you know, dancing on the table and <laughs> doing the shots at the frat party. Like that, that's your love language. Y'all speak the same language. You need to talk to that girl. But it was also like, well, who's going to listen? Who am I? Where do I start? Blah, blah, blah. Like mm-hmm. all of those th- questions. But once you kind of get over that and you're like where you're supposed to be, you're like, there is no... And no going back ever, ever, ever. I'm so fulfilled. I know 100,000% on where I'm supposed to be. And that's the point of life, right? Like, I don't want to look back and say, I wish I would have, or what if I did even? And instead of just like living to your fullest and knowing you're living in your mission, that that's the point of everything. So I just yes. love what you said. Amen. <laughs> I agree. Amen. Okay. You talked about this for a second, but this is something that's going to be really interesting to a lot of our young listeners that you walk through a broken engagement and uh, a failed relationship kind of in this space in addition to stepping out of your comfort zone and moving Mm -hmm. to a different country. That's a big deal. Talk to us about heartache and how you knew that that relationship needed, needed to end. Oh, gosh. Um, well, it started out uh, for a few years. It was a really smooth relationship. He was in church. Things were going really well. We got engaged. Um, and as we got closer to the wedding, I there was a lot of, of red flags. And um, I didn't really know what those red flags meant, but I knew that there was something not right. Um, and I came to find out not long before the wedding that he was smoking pot. And so he was hiding it and hence all the red flags because he was embarrassed and he was, you know, whatever. So I was like, okay, well, that can't happen. I'm a teacher. What's going on? And he was just kind of like, I've just been stressed. I thought this would help. It's going to be fine. Well, this was like two months before the wedding. And then less than a month before the wedding, I thought he had quit and he hadn't. 
And so that was like really what what pushed us to postpone. Like, listen, if you can't even handle the stress of wedding, what are you going to do when you actually get married? Well, then he lost his job and it was just thing after thing after thing. And so his smoking marijuana turned into a full-blown addiction. Um, And I don't want to share too much about him because that's his story. But that was 2013 when we called off the wedding. It was probably like the end of 2013 when I really started to realize this wasn't getting better. It was getting way worse. I mean, it was just spiraling out of control. For the next four or five years, it was just back and forth. I'm not the type of person who's going to be like on social media, we're together and then we're not together. And then we already, but it was just in my life. It was, and it was a roller coaster and it was such stressful thing because I was hiding it from everybody because I was embarrassed for him. I was embarrassed that I was still dealing with this. I was trying to make excuses for him for why he wasn't here or there or what he said he was going to do. He didn't do. Had I thought about that situation five years before the relationship, I would have never thought I would have put up with with nearly any of the stuff that I put up with. But you grow alongside of this person. And as they go down, you go down. And so I began to realize that I was really codependent. And um, I don't know how much you guys know about that word codependent, but it really just means that like you are allowing the emotions of somebody else to control your emotions. You're allowing the ups and downs of somebody else's life to put you through ups and downs when it doesn't have to be that way. You know, he could call me and say, this situation is happening. And I would just run to his rescue because I thought his family, they suck right now. They're not being who they need to be. And this is happening and that is happening. And this just isn't fair for him. And then I would lose time with my family because I was leaving to go fix his problem. And it just sounds really backwards because it really was. I just continued in that relationship because I had a dream of being married. And in all honesty, when I look at that dream, his face was not anywhere near. It was just that I had this dream and I had this dress and I had all the things that I was supposed to have. And he was still not stepping up to the plate. And and now I know that because of his addiction, he couldn't unless he really was seeking out help. And so during that time, there were two rehab situations. It was such an emotional roller coaster for me. When the Lord really laid it on my heart again in 2018 to move to the DR, I kind of just was like, you know what? I just wasted three years of my life not doing what I wanted to do because I felt like I was supposed to be in this relationship and we were going to have this house together and it was going to be great. And it's not. Here I am still basically single other than, I mean, we're dating, but I'm not married. My little sister's having kids before I am. She actually got engaged on the day I was supposed to get married. So it was just like thing after thing after thing that just was breaking my heart and I was letting it. There's a certain point where I feel like people hurt you and you can't control that. But when it continues, you do allow that. And I was allowing it for sure. And so when I moved in 2018 to the DR, I kind of gave him an ultimatum like, I'm going to be there for a year. I'm going to come home at Christmas. When I come home at Christmas, if things aren't, he was actually sober at the time. um, And I said, you know, but things have got to move forward. You can't just be sober and that be enough. Like you've got to actively be working on your sobriety. You've got to make sure that you're 
moving forward into better options for jobs now that you can keep a stable job. Like all of these things have to be, you know, I'm basically momming him into it. You should never have to mom the person that you're dating. (laughs) But when I gave him these ultimatums about a month into me being into the DR, uh, I had some charges on my credit card that were not from me. And so um, needless to say, I knew that he was back in active addiction and I just called him and I said, listen, I am 1,600 miles away and I can't do this. I cannot fix your problems anymore. Like, I can't be that for you. I can't even be that for me. I don't even know how to move forward from here. And and I said, I I told you that if things weren't doing better, then we weren't going to be able to to move forward in our relationship. And I said, and now things have gone backwards. He just used it all against me. I mean, as an addict, that's just what they do. And he just was like, you told me I had until December and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's not what I said. You're twisting my words. And it was just, it was really hard. But I knew, I just really knew that it was obviously the right decision. But I knew even before that happened, it was just like the Lord just kept allowing things like that to continue to get my attention. And I'm so thankful that he did now. I'm so thankful that for me, what kept us from getting married all of those years was the fact that I I love stability. I love to know exactly when my bills are going to be paid and, and to know that this is how much money I have for the rest of the month. And um, it, which is really funny that now I'm a missionary and I live based on other people, <laughs> other people's support. But at the time, we almost eloped so many times. I can't even tell you. I knew my parents were not going to be for it. And I just thought, let's just go do it. But something always pulled me back to reality. And I just always was like, mm, maybe we should just wait. I really do want that big wedding. I really do want this and that. Um, and it's really those those dreams and thoughts that the Lord used to kind of save me from marrying him because in all honesty, in his addiction, he probably would have wiped me out. I probably wouldn't have anything to my name. I probably wouldn't be in the DR right now. My life would be so different than what it is. Although it was really hard to deal with fraudulent charges on my credit card from another country, it was a blessing to have to deal with it and to be done. So, wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, you said this, and I've talked about this on other times and in other interviews on the podcast, but so many young women get wrapped up into what you alluded to. Like, I just wanted to be married. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting and crazy if we take a step back and look at it. It's like, we want to be married. We want to have the white dress. We want to have the big day. We want to have the social media post. And like, it's all exciting. and And it obviously, it makes sense. It's exciting. It's a good thing. But we forget the 50 plus years of a marriage because we're focused so much on one single day of a wedding because you almost walked into that and kind of on the other side and realizing looking back and all of that kind of stuff i guess what would you tell yourself your engaged starry-eyed self that you that you wish you would have known at that time i think mostly it's just really um don't ignore those red flags you yeah. know when you start to notice gosh a man should be an addition to your life in a way that that encourages you and supports you to be everything that you could be, but that you would be completely okay without him. And he was not that for me. Um, and so I would just say, you know, when those red flags start to come up, when, when he in some way makes a, a comment that is degrading or when, when he's not leading 
not even outside of a spiritual realm, even if you weren't a Christian, when he's not leading their relationship, when he's not being the man that men should be, step back, just step back and and choose your friends wisely. Choose friends that are going to encourage you to be who you need to be and not just, um, I feel like girls, you know, we do that whole Disney thing like, oh my gosh, yeah. he's so cute. He's so great. Oh, you look so cute together. And we really are very superficial on how the relationship is actually going. What is actually mm-hmm. taking place? What is he, what do you talk about when you guys are alone? What is he pushing you to do? Is he pushing you towards your dreams or is he pushing you towards the bedroom? Like what, what yeah. does he want for you? And so, um, I would just really say, just really look for those things. And if he's not doing what he needs to be doing, he's not going to do it when you get married. <laughs> so I know, right? People like to think, um, well, it'll get be- better when we get married. It's a toxic relationship now, but it will get better when we get married. The only difference is you wore a white dress and he wore a tux and you got some pictures. Like mm-hmm. you're still the same people. <laughs> yes. And I think too, just sharing like, this is another thing um, and something I'm growing so much with is James in the Bible talks about sharing your burdens with one another and that you will find healing in that. And it doesn't say that you only take your your burdens to the Lord. Like we are supposed to lean on one another when something happens and it's hard. But our nature because of sin and because of Satan is to hide those things and to be embarrassed and to not share. And so had I just spoken the things out loud that were going on, it would have smacked me in the face. But had I actually said it to someone else, other people would have stepped in and not allowed what was happening to continue because it got really bad at times. But I was too embarrassed and I thought this is my fault or I you know, I deserve this because we've had sex or there's some reason why um, this is supposed to be the way that it is, but it'll get better later, you know, but I really strongly, strongly, strongly believe in sharing your burdens with one another. And if something happens, there should be somebody in your life that you can share that with and gain wisdom from that person, because we are not thinking clearly when we're thinking in love, you know, we're just not. And so you need somebody outside of the situation who can be real with you, who might still love that person 100%, but can say, that's not the person for you, or this doesn't look like it's going in a, in a direction that's healthy. And I have great family and friends, but I was too ashamed. I was just too embarrassed. To share it with them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I just had a girl reach out to me on Instagram just asking like how she can help her friend who is in a toxic relationship and saw a lot of signs that, you know, she was kind of making excuses for and stuff like that. And it really is powerful to, first of all, to be that friend, you know, a lot of times we shy away from it and, oh, well, she'll figure it out. But gosh, you know, we need, we need to help each other out and with love, obviously, and Mm -hmm. not like be, you know, he's a dirtbag, leave him right now because she is in love and help her to see. And what I suggested to the girl who reached out to me is just to kind of ask her questions to help her find that answer on her own. Yes. I mean, like, what do you like about him? What do you see in him for a future? Stuff like that. So anyway, that was really good advice. I wrote down, um, is he pushing you toward your dreams or toward the bedroom? We're going to have to quote you on that. That was so good. (laughs) I couldn't let you go without getting into that part of it because so many girls, I think, that could relate to to what you walk through there. Um, I want to just go back to what you're currently doing because helping women freed from sex trafficking is 
golly, I mean, I feel like one of the most important roles in such a, I'm sure, messy and complicated, but rewarding and beautiful job. I wonder if you could just tell us a story, you know, obviously you can change the name or whatever, but just a story about maybe someone that you have walked along the side of there in the Dominican Republic, just to kind of get an idea of what you do um, and how you're making an impact. Yeah. We have a lot of turnover, I guess is the word, uh-huh. in in Mercy Workshop. And and that's just because our women, once they come to us, all of their problems aren't fixed. And, and they don't always know how to handle that. Like, it seems like life should be better once your job is better. And so we have a lot of turnover. And we have women who work for us and who they bring in their sisters. And then we, we currently actually have a pair of sisters working for us, and then another girl who's working for us whose sister used to work for us and who has another sister that we minister to on outreach. And so it's a it's a cycle. It's a family cycle. But specifically this one girl, and she worked for us up until COVID, and then she walked away. And when I was home for the summer, I had sold a necklace to a lady who was in cancer rehabilitation. And I had shared a little bit of the story of this girl with her. And I said, you know, she has been with us for a while and she just walked away to go back to the brothel. And it's probably because of her addiction. We don't really know completely if, if that's what took her back or what seemed more appealing to go back, but, but she could use some prayer. And um, it has been such a cool story, and and you guys can can keep praying for her too. She hasn't come back to us yet, but this woman is going through radiation right now. And now every time that she goes into radiation, she puts a post on her Facebook that says, "Going in for radiation number whatever." Pray for Dominga. Dominga is the woman's mm-hmm. name, and so now there is like this army of people praying for Dominga who don't even know her, who don't understand really what she really has gone through, but just who know that this is special to this woman. And so we're going to, we're going to pray for her too. But just like when I, when I step back and I think about that and I think about the ministry as a whole and what God is really doing and how he is working in these women's lives and how sometimes I have to step back and remember he loves them more than we do and that we work and work and work at at making life what it needs to be for them. And sometimes they're just not ready. And sometimes they get carried back away. And our job is to just remain faithful in doing what God has called us to do. Sometimes that means continuing to reach out to them. Sometimes that means giving them their space and just continuing continuing to pray for them. It's different for each one. I mean, we have one woman who's worked for us for 10 years. You know, she got off the streets and she she was done. She did not want to go back. She didn't even want anybody to know that was what she had been through. She just wanted to be done. And then we have others that have worked for us four or five times and are still back out there. And that's really hard. It's a really hard place to be. Um, but this summer, I remember hearing... A, a popular song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Yeah. And I just remember feeling like I am, I'm so heartbroken so many times over these women and their situation. But in the middle of that, the Lord said, but you know, your sin breaks my heart too. And, mm. and it was really eye opening for me and just helps me understand and just continue to know that we are not that different. 
I am not that different from those women. And given the circumstances, I could be exactly where they are. I have chosen paths that were not for me. I have stayed in lifestyles that were not for me. And there are so many things that I just feel like the more I get to know them and the more it seems like our lives should should seem really different, they're really not. We're very connected. It's just cool to see what what God does with that. And, you know, we're we're a completely women's ministry. All of our workers are women. All of our missionaries are women. All of our trainers are women. Everybody at the workshop is a woman. And so we really get to just lean on each other and, and we get to just walk through life with each other. We're just friends a lot of times. And so it's been really cool to get to, to do that because I didn't think that this would, would be how it looked. You know, I just, I had this, just what I think a lot of people do, maybe not to the extreme as the movie taken, but just, really thinking that rescue would look different, but rescue really is a lot of times rescuing them from themselves and from the thoughts that they have about themselves, that they're not worth it and that they're not worthy of the work that we're putting in to get them the help that they need. But they are. They are. (laughs) They are. It's so powerful. I am just loving this conversation. I took lots of notes about some of the things you mentioned that I was going to link in the show notes for everybody, particularly your blog that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, that sounds awesome. And then just the Mercy Workshop, the New Hope Girls, all of that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in learning more, and then can you um, also send us a link about how they can support you to help you do what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so jenkuboshmissions.org is my website. And that's where my blog is. And that's also a place where um, if people choose to support me, there's some different options. There's a PayPal option. There's the old-fashioned check way where you can just send a check to my church. Those are tax deductible. Um, and then I have a few options for if people want to send mail or anything like that, just the way that they can just be a blessing if they they choose to do that. Yeah, I think that's something that I honestly didn't really fully understand until I was older. But, you know, God calls people to go to the Dominican Republic to do stuff. And then sometimes God calls people to support them um, yes. financially and through prayer and because you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're, you're definitely part of the mission work by giving. So that's definitely an important piece for sure. Yes. I want to talk a little bit about like just buying fair wage and fair trade, especially yeah. this Christmas season, making sure that the gifts that you're buying, if you can, I know they're more expensive. I know that there's a lot of times that you could get, you could get a lot more for your money at Walmart or Target, but it really just, it means so much because every piece of jewelry that you buy from Mercy Workshop, every bag that gets purchased from New Hope Girls like I, I see those faces on a daily basis. I know what that money is going towards. I know that it's supporting a salary. It's supporting a ministry. It's, it's supporting um, therapy that they need. It's supporting classes that they have to take. Your dollars really do matter, especially since it's Christmas season and people are probably still scrambling to shop. I would definitely encourage you to shop small as much as possible. And we would love for you to do it through Mercy or New Hope. Yes, I love fair trade. I was a marketing major, and you know one of my favorite quotes is, "You change the world by the, with the dollars you spend." Because mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I mean we we vote for the type of world with the dollars we spend. That's how it, that's a quote. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean 
we can say all day we want to help women in sex trafficking, but when we buy the earrings made by the women who are literally escaping trafficking as we speak, that's when we put our money where our mouth is. Yes. So that's preach. Um, okay. Last question, because this is called the truth for your twenties podcast. If you could have coffee with your 20 year old self, what would you say? I would probably say you're okay. Single, like you really are okay. And you know, I'm 33 now and single. And honestly, I don't know that I'll never get married. You know, I don't think that that it could happen for me, but I'm at the place where I'm so thankful that I'm okay. I'm single and I'm okay. I'm not looking at every post on Facebook of engagement pictures and birth announcements and everything else and crying anymore. And there was a time that I was, and that's okay too. I feel like it's okay to grieve the dreams that maybe don't happen for you, but to why did I have this dream of being married? It's not, it's not for everybody. I think that society pushes us to think that at, by some certain point, we're supposed to have the perfect guy and the perfect dress and we're supposed to walk down the aisle. But just to say more, if I get married instead of when I get married would completely change my heart towards the situation and probably would have kept me from the second disastrous relationship had I had I thought that. But I was thinking, oh my gosh, I just graduated college and I don't even have a boyfriend and everybody else is getting married. And so I rushed into a relationship that was fine for a while, but it definitely wasn't where I needed to be. So just be okay being single. Oh, so good. We need to put that on a billboard somewhere. <sighs> In a college town, preferably. <laughs> yes, for sure. That was amazing. Jen, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this goodness. Like I said, I'm going to have lots of links in the show notes, so make sure you check those out. But where can people follow you on social? You can follow me personally at Jen Kubosh. That's just Instagram and my Facebook. But I do have a a missions-related page, and it's just Jen Kubosh Missions. You really just want to follow and keep up to date with our ministries and what's going on in the world of New Hope Girls and Lifehouse Girls and Mercy Workshop, then you can follow me on my missions page and that'll kind of filter out some of the, like I have pictures of me surfing on my regular page. So you might not want to. Oh, that's cool though. (laughs) Yeah. Little perk of being in the DR, but. Oh, oh my gosh. I bet it's awesome. Well, thank you, Jen Kubosh, for being here and sharing all of this awesomeness. I have a pretty good feeling girls are going to love this episode. Good. I hope so. It was fun doing it. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Take a screenshot and put this up on your social. Tag me at Katie Bulmer Life. By the way, I love your DMs. I'm just a regular girl who responds to all my DMs. I never thought I had to clarify that, but apparently some people don't. You actually do me a favor when you reach out and tell me what you want to hear more of because I'm no longer a 20-something, but my passion is to keep my thumbprint on the pulse of what you guys are walking through, what you want to hear more of, what resonates. So please reach out. Do not be shy. And lastly, those of you who leave a review on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope that you gain some truth for your 20s. Hey, my name is Hannah Boomer. Thanks for listening to my mom's podcast. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And our work here is done.